The XTC Podcast. What do you call that noise? Welcome, my name is Mark Fisher. I am the editor of various XTC publications dating back from 1982 with the publication of Limelight, the XTC fanzine, lovingly compiled into the XTC bumper book of fun for boys and girls and... Uh, and more recently, the What Do You Call That Noise, which has now become What Do You Call That Noise, the podcast, the XDC podcast. What do you call that noise? This is number two, and I'm delighted to bring together from all over the United Kingdom, which is currently in lockdown, so we can do these things these days. Uh, we have our special guest today, Andrew Stafford. Andy Stafford is the author of Breathing the Same Air, his uh, memoir of his time, uh, a remarkable time, really, as 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 a young man hanging out at Crescent Studios in Bath, where XTC welcomed him in as they recorded the Big Express. With him uh, from London and Andrews in um, in Bath, I think, or Bristol. In Bristol. In Bristol right now. Uh, uh, Belinda Blanchard is currently in London. Hello, Belinda. How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Very fine. Uh, Belinda's claim to fame, as, as I'm repeatedly em- em- embarrassing her with, is, is that she's in the Dear God video. Not many of us can say that. She's also going to be at the XTC fan convention as XT She and He, he said in a sort of slurred sort of way. So we'll find out about that fairly soon. Um, and uh, here with me, in, well, in the same city as me, is Mark Reed. Hello, Mark. Hello. And David White. Hello, David. Hi, Mark. And uh, we're just going to be chatting. We're talking about XTC. Um, so welcome all. Uh, I, and I think one of the the, the, the things about the, uh, the 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 breathing the same air is that sense of a of an ordinary fan to, uh, of an ordinary fan turning up and being welcomed by people who you would really would expect to turn you away. Andy, what's your your memory? The whole book is a memory, but what's your memory of that unexpectedness of suddenly finding? Uh, a pop group who you expect to be to be uh, rude, not being rude to you. You know, I was a nineteen year old nineteen year old fan, and the only time I ever saw them was when they were on stage, which was only once, or from videos or from the front cover of their albums. So, in my mind, when I was sort of nineteen, there was this big divide between the, the your heroes and uh, the, you know actually meeting them. It was very rare you would have the chance. So the, the time I did turn up at the studio and eventually I did get in, um, yeah, I really couldn't believe it. And I couldn't believe how nice they all were. And um, there was I had expected to see security and record company people. In my, in my kind of naive mind, I just thought it was a bit like going to Manor Studios where I can imagine there were sort of fortresses and drawbridges to cross to get into the studio but it was so unlike that it was it was very humbling actually and that really comes across in the book of, of the others who, who you know i'm just thinking as, as a journalist over the years and actually not least with xdc themselves I, i've met a lot of famous people in my time but uh some people are more uh intimidating or overwhelming than than, than others but belinda as an actor i imagine you've rubbed shoulders with with some fairly well-known people or people who become well-known after you've met them are, are you are you starstruck or have you been starstruck yeah judy dench just said don't name drop um <laughs> Old ones are the best. Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I sort of am, but I haven't worked with with that many people. Um, sometimes I work with people and think, seriously, how did you get to be in that position? Um, and other people are just 
you know, everyone's just really down to earth. Um, you know, it, uh, I don't have a, I'm not, you know, I haven't worked with a, a huge amount of fame of, you know, what you might call famous people. But I do remember going out with someone many, many decades ago. Um, and he knew someone who worked at Air Studios. Now, I don't remember how I got there, but I remember sitting on a black leather sofa in Air Studios watching, I think it was Madness, recording an album. And, all, and I don't remember even how that happened. And I wasn't particularly into madness, but sometimes, but maybe after 10 minutes, I remember being told to leave. And I thought to myself, well, actually, that's quite reasonable. What was I doing there? So this story of, you know, you just turn, being, turning up and being welcomed is absolutely wonderful. I can understand or could understand if they'd have said no actually we need we need to be concentrating here we don't know who you are you might be a journalist even if you're 19 years old um it'll piss off and I'm gonna, um I don't know how much bad language I can use I normally swear all the time um so I would have understood that but um I'm actually quite not surprised at all that that I was told to leave their studios I don't, there's so much I don't remember about it, so I can't sort of go into detail, um, including how the hell I got there, but I can't even remember what album it was. Um, I just remember them all recording it and then suddenly being escorted out. So that's my only story really relating to that. But as far as working with other um, so-called famous people, I can only work with, with a few and you know, just people like the rest of us, they're all suffering from a varying amount of nerves, just like anyone else on, on set or in a, in, a, in a play or something. So, you know, we're all people. Because <laughs> I think you do get that sense, um, Andy, don't you, with, the, with XTC, that they are primarily musicians. They're not primarily famous people. They're not primarily, they don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I'm well known, I'm on the telly. No, I think that's uh, quite, quite correct. And... Um... You certainly did sense that. I mean, I, being a, a, a lot younger, I did used to go to lots of sound checks and watch lots of bands. And uh, there is a there is a particular story. If you've read the book already, you'll, you'll see the 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 Duran Duran bit, um, which you may may not remember. Where um, even before they were famous, I bumped into the band they were supporting, Casey O'Connor, and um, Simon Abongis. Swanned up to me and said, "Do you want my my, my um, autograph now? Would you rather wait until I'm famous?" And we said, well, "Who are you?" He said, "My name's Charlie." He didn't, he didn't even go by the name of Simon Le Bon for some reason. And uh, my friend who was with me. Said, "Sorry, I don't know who you are." You know. And so some people are, are like it even before they've achieved a level of fame. But no, XTC are not like that at all. They they um, just so nice. It's just one word that they were nice. There's an echo of uh, what's happening now is that if you work from home, uh, if you're like me, all of a sudden you've got the whole family there and this um, isolation, as they call it, is actually <laughs> rather more difficult to come by. And um, I think they tend to call it flow these days. If, if, you're, if you're basically concentrating on what you're doing, writing or art or music, whatever, um, you you don't really want to be interrupted, 
And um, so I, I would have completely understood. And I, I, you, you, you do say, Andy, in, in your book that you, you would have understood as well if you'd been asked, yeah, well, thanks very much, but they're working, you know, and don't want to, don't want to be interrupted. Whether you'd have been, obviously you'd have been disappointed at the age of 19, but, uh, you know, even now I say to people who are you know, going past the kitchen table and I'm trying to concentrate, I say, yes, all right, I'll, I'll be with you in a second. And, you know, it, it, does, it does interrupt the famous flow. Mm, well, I, I think um, I, I should say we were we weren't turned away by the band, but David Lord, the producer who opened the door when we knocked, knocked on the door, he on behalf of the band said, "No, we don't want you in here." Um, but we just hung around outside, and because um, he let us listen, we could hear the music quite clearly from outside the studio. And um, when when the, the Dave Gregory stepped out for some fresh air and thought, oh "My God, you're still here. We heard there are people there. Come on in." And um, of course, by that time of the night, they, they were probably winding down, so they probably didn't mind us coming in. It was probably 10 o'clock at night by the time we got into the studio, and they just played us what they had been recording that day. And most to begin with, we did go on the evening, and I think by the time the evening was there, they, they were just winding down and they didn't mind us being there. But that doesn't answer the question why they were so nice during the daytime as well when I started going during the day. I, just I thought it was interesting when... Um... I think towards the end of the book, which just proves that I've read it, um, you say that they'd been in the studio for three months. So, so, three months, so yeah. at what point in that three-month duration did you first turn up? Was it about halfway through? or? I reckon it would have been 36 years ago now. I think it, I think it was in April that we, we turned up. So I think they've been in there since about March. I think I did check on uh, Wikipedia, and it did say the recording, I think, started in March. So they've probably been... In, in the studio for maybe six weeks by the time I turned up. So, which, which kind of makes sense because if you'd, if you've probably been in the same situation, if you're in an office with the same people for eight, ten hours a day repeatedly, you're more than keen to get new, new blood in, someone else to yeah. speak to, someone new to speak to. Yeah. You know, it's just the right timing. So it was a, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, it probably would have, if you'd gone at the very start, they probably would have said, you know, sorry, we're really busy. But by that point, they're probably grateful for fresh blood, people that didn't smell of sweat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And it, did a, it was a bit smelly in there. There's an awful lot of coffee was being drank. It stank of coffee. What? Oh, your God, isn't that nice? And, and the thing that I can remember, because weirdly, both Andy and I, are, 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 I've discovered from reading his book, are born two or three months apart from each other. So we were exactly the same age. And actually, we were at Crescent Studios almost, you know, within days of each other. Uh, and, and I was there for, for officially invited, uh, <laughs> I have to say, uh, as part of, um, you know, as the editor of Limelight. And the, and I think that must have been fairly to- close to the end of the process. And it was pretty boring, really, what what, what was going on. what I can remember what was going on. Uh, it, it was Colin Moulding record, recording an overdub, not even the, original, the, the first bass part. He was recording overdubs to make corrections on blue overall. And it was just this tape loop going around, going... Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> was a song that I didn't even know at all at that point but it, we'd, all we could hear was this tune going over and over again and I, I imagine uh, if, if that's what you're having to sit through for hours upon hours to have some spotty youth come in and um, I was the spotty youth I don't know whether you were um, you know and, and, and break the the, 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 the the pattern it must be quite a relief. There was an awful lot of just hanging around doing nothing um, and like I, ref- I do reflect in the book that those were the times where I did find quite interesting where they were just talk with each other about um, 
really dull things about somebody who'd been in a car crash and found out they didn't have the insurance or I don't know, somebody had broken their leg or these sort of, I can't remember them all now, but they were just everyday mundane things that you don't expect your, your heroes to talk about. Um, and it was just like office small talk. I was very interested in hearing that and uh, just like normal, normal people. Of course, they are normal people. That's uh, only 19. They're not normal in your mind. They are more than that. Um, and I think as I've got older, I, I, I pay no attention to celebrity now. I don't think in the same way like I used to. But I think when we're all young and we're all impressionable, and we buy records and watch films. When you see somebody out of that position where they're not on the TV or if they're not in a film, you'd go, whoa, well, there they are. Um, and I think also you, you don't realise that the recording studio is actually a very unmusical place to be. Yeah. That, yeah. that the, it's an enormously painstaking place. Yeah, it is. Uh, uh, and it's a very strange, it's a very, everything sounds strange because everything's soundproofed, even the, uh, the control room, there's no echo, everything's, it's very, it's like an isolated place. Hmm. Sterile, maybe. Sterile. I, I was just looking back at um, the the write up that that we gave um, to it in Limelight, and I think this is this in Play at Home as well, or it, um, that where XDC have a, such a, a visual imagination as well as a as as, as and a, a, a linguistic imagination as as well as a as as a hearing imagination, and on the wall they would have these. Amazing, unlikely sounding sounds uh, that they would that they would describe words that would describe the sounds that they were looking for. What do you call that noise? This is a quote from Andy Partridge. We've got a list on the wall of sounds we've described to David Lord to get for some of the instruments. There's things like "Can you make the bass go pop?" and "Barker and Dobson, less Barker and more Dobson." They're sweet manufacturers, but for something like bass guitar, it's it's too Barker, it wants to be more dob, dob, dob. Or foing, I want the snare drum to go foing. When you hit a tightly tuned drum, you get the bang and then you get a ring, and so it's a case of separating the ring. To people who know about studios and bringing out these frequencies, they're not so ludicrous, but some of the sounds he's asked to get are quite amusing. What do you call that noise? They've used that phrase, uh, Bjorn, Bjorn Borg. If they wanted the, the face to go, Bjorn Borg, Bjorn Borg, <laughs> you know, they, they would have some sort of metaphorical sort of uh, onomatopoeic, I mean, they would have some sort of onomatopoeic uh, uh, phrase that, that, would, that would somehow encapsulate what they're doing. And I think there's some... I, don't, I wonder whether many bands are actually like that, that they have a, a way of communicating with each other to, to express... The, the, the sound that they're trying to get. I think that's probably one of the reasons that we all like XTC is because they have such distinctive sonic landscapes that have that have been created because they're not just sounding like the last album. They want this one, they want to sound it more, you know, rock and roll or whatever. Yeah, and I think also um I forget the name of the um uh, it's not it's not like an illness that Andy suffers from, but he he used things in, in colours. Yeah. What was that again, sorry? Uh, synesthesia. Synesthesia, yeah. And I think that is um, an interesting thing to hear about. And I think that probably does reflect in a lot of the stuff he does. And I think it's quite interesting. If you, I think it was the, I think it was the play at home 
um, film where um, Andy says he always writes about being outside, like on the farm or by the sea, and he never goes out. And Colin, who was a groundsman, who was always outside, tends to write about more about being in, in a lot more. I don't know how true that is with Colin, but certainly with Andy, he does write a lot of being out on the farm and these kind of a, a, outdoor things. And I guess it, this all comes from, from the fact when he plays a chord, it looks like a puddle of water, and he'll write a song based upon that, even though he doesn't seem to go out an awful lot, according to what he says. I, I think we're... we're all of much of the same age, apart from Belinda, was obviously much younger than the rest of us. And um, we all used to read the music press at the same time. I remember reading interviews of bands in NME all the time that said, oh, it's dreadful being in a band. It's just sitting around all the time. It's really boring. And the only good part is playing live for 90 minutes. And you'd think, that's rubbish. You're a rock star. You're a pop star. It must be brilliant. You know, it's wonderful. And then you read books like your own and you go, no, it's really, really boring. <laughs> it's really dull. <laughs> You can understand why they kind of go, this isn't what I signed up to. You know, I was mm. playing gigs in a pub and having a great time and I'm yeah. sat for three months doing 10 hours a day in basically a living room with lots of guitars and speakers in it. The person mm. most at, at home in a recording studio, I think, is really the producer or engineer. They're the ones twiddling the knobs to get the, the, the required sound, uh, trying, trying to get the, the described sound uh, down on tape, as it were. Uh, they're the busy ones. They're the busy ones, yeah. yeah. I was I was remembering, because I saw XTC live twice, and maybe there's just something about the your boldness when you're age 19 uh, that you will think, oh, well, let's just go backstage after the gig. And I know people still do that now. But thinking it back now, I'm thinking, would, would I still do that? Would I still go backstage and hang around? And, um, actually, we did hang around after Big Big Train. Da- David and I did that to, to see um, Dave Gregory. But we knew Dave Gregory there and, and, and Yvonne Wooten was, was there. So we, we went completely... Uh, in fact, everybody was our age anyway, so it didn't feel as though we were gate <laughs> crashing a, a, a teeny popper crowd. But there, there is that sort of I, I think Andy and your book, you, that, that boldness that you had in the first place to, to to go not only once but then twice. I don't. I wonder whether you would do that now at at your great age. No, I don't think I would bother. No, um, and I think I mentioned somewhere in the book that I, I do think it's quite good to keep the distance between your heroes because it's nice to have that air of mystery um, which you do lose once you get to know them and I did get to know them quite well during that um, two-month period they don't remember me at all now unfortunately but um, I obviously do remember them but at the time I got to know them quite well and it did break down the the mystery of who they were which was nice but when I then listened to the albums which come later, uh, which came after them, Skylarking especially, but I think probably because it's recorded such a long way away in America with Todd, and that kind of brought mystery back again. That made me think, oh, who are these guys? You know, are these brilliant songs coming from across the pond. It made it more like it was in the early days when I didn't know the band. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it, yes, it does. And I think there's uh, you've reminded me of that aspect of the book which... It is quite charming that idea that this thing is so important to you that all of these years later you're writing a whole book about it and yet they don't remember they don't remember anything about it and so even when even if you're not starstruck even this, this, these moments those weeks or whatever really really important to you and it's the same with me that you know if even now if 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 I speak to uh, any of them 
uh, I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm still a bit buzzing afterwards because they, they do play a significant part in my life. But of course, I, I play a much less significant part in their lives. I'm not, you know, I'm of no significance at all. Uh, and so that's, I guess that's one of the, and it, and it often happens, I think, if you get very famous, much more famous than XTC, there's a sense that people know more about you than you know could possibly know about them they're a stranger to you but they've read all about you in the newspapers and whatever and mm -hmm. and so you're you're always going to have a one-sided conversation where where it's quite difficult to get to know people i imagine but the, it's true that they didn't remember me but they did remember the other star of the book which is my red mars minor well they didn't dave did um i drove everywhere and it looked as though it should have been a souped up mars minor it had huge wheels and a Little steering wheel, steering wheel and bucket seats, and it looked like it should have had a like a three and a half liter engine and the engine underneath the bonnet, but it didn't. And Dave became quite enamoured by that car, and he used to sort of poke around it, and it reminded of him when he was a little boy. So when I wrote to him, um, I sent him the photographs before I'd even thought about doing the book. I sent him the photographs that I took at the studio, and he said, "I don't remember you, but I remember the Mars Minor. I remember it because it reminded me of his auntie, and I, and I reminded him that he told me that." And unfortunately, his auntie just died at the time, which must be around about October time. But he, he remembered the car, but not me. But never again. <laughs> Back in me on your gravestone. Yeah. I remembered my car, but not I me. I remembered my car. <laughs> I don't even have any photographs of the car. I'd love to put a picture in, but I can't find it anywhere. Never mind. I'm glad for the photographs he did take, even though they number about four, is it? <laughs> four. What was I thinking? There in the studio with your your favourite band. I didn't bring the camera along until I think the third or fourth visit. I should have taken so many pictures. They were happy to, for me to take pictures. I think at that age, I was buying film in only 12s because that, that was the, the cheapest. 24 or 36 was prohibitively expensive. It was a tiny little thing. That the, it, had a, it had a cassette that went in. It was a 110mm camera, if I remember correctly. And yeah, I think you may have had 12 photographs. What year was this that you did Three years later, yeah, three years later was the um, Dear God video. Um, by the way, I'm 62. Um, three years later was the XTC video. So I think there's an element of what you were saying about the idea of you, you're sort of bolder and, and you have less fears when you're younger. It's sort of reversed for me in that I never had any fears or anxiety about things. But now that I'm older, I sort of feel um, more measured in what I want to do. So that, whereas before I might say, yep, I'm going to go to that hotel and stalk that whoever, um, which I might have done if I was younger. Now I think I can't be asked. I just can't be asked as much as I might still love them. Um, uh, so, yeah, you're, one is more sort of tempered and maybe slightly more comfortable mm. to stay home. Um, uh, but I've, I'm also interested that they, they don't remember you. It, it also means that, you know, they were very insular almost and maybe being very protected because I got that feeling doing video they were being very protective protected and cared for and what they were wearing you know everything was always being brushed down and made sure there were no specks or dust anything everything was all about them absolutely as it should be 
so there wasn't much you know we, we weren't even allowed to eat on the same um bus as them you know they were absolutely kept separate from from us mere uh, mortals um but that's as it is um and, and i can remember the the actually i can remember the crew more so it was difficult to approach them um but at the same time i wasn't the fan i became from the minute i read the song sheet and that's surprising you because from my experience i can't imagine them being in a world where they would be kept apart from normal people so to speak yeah but film sets can be very protected yeah. and special you know highly pressurized places what do people think about the sound of the big express because people you know when you, if you see people on facebook and whatever you often hear people talking about the, the big express sometimes as their least favorite xdc album but quite commonly they'll say that's the one that's got the the 80s sounds stamped all over it and and and, and is dated in terms of its sound, uh, more than some of, uh, uh, in fact, more than all of their other LPs. That's what people will. That's what certain people will say. I'm, I'm throwing out the question, not saying whether I agree with it or not. But, uh, but, uh, uh, David, you look as though you're, you're having an opinion about that. I well, because I, I think it's, it's a, an absolutely wonderful album, um, and I, I know exactly what you're talking about. That Big Express does tend to get overlooked when you're talking about uh, XTC's highest achievements um but uh no i think the the songs are uh, uh just lovely they're every bit as good as what came before and what came after um i th the the sound that maybe one sort of thinks you know is in one's head when you talk about the big express is you um you're aware of the more industrial sounding percussion I think um, when you say the Big Express to me, I'm thinking that, and and that does tend to echo with the front cover, for instance, with the title. Um, the, the, the sort of um, theme of the album does echo the, the industrial past of Swindon and so on. So I suppose it's only fair that uh, you should, you know, when you hear hear that title, you think of the of the um, the industrial sound that does accompany certain ones. I mean, Blue overall has a lot of industrial samples on it. Um, oh, uh, let me think, what else? Oh, even Shake You Donkey Up, which is a sort of a sort of hoedown-y sort of uh, tune, it's still got thumping drums. But remember, this is kind of in the wake of Terry Chambers, who thumped them like Billio uh, up, up until just the, the summer before. So, uh, um, I don't think it's quite the the departure that we we think. It does make extensive use of samples, though, mm. um, particularly the start of um, uh, the uh, train running low on soul coal, for instance. Um, again, it, it's to generate an industrial, you know, momentum. Um, so there's plenty of that. But look at I remember the sun um, or this world over. Uh, there's plenty of counterbalancing mm -hmm. uh, to it. And um, Seagull Screaming, which is uh, definitely a sort of standout track. If, if, you, if you hear the, the drum track, it's actually on the gentler side. It doesn't thump. It, it is, uh, it is a, a Lynn track, but it's, it's, uh, it's 
actually got uh, some a lot of thought gone into it. So that there's a there's as much gentleness I think as there is bombast. I was I was just thinking that uh, when finally after the coronavirus lockdown has, has finished, if it ever finishes, the uh, XTC fans are going to need a greeting. And I thought "Shake you donkey up" would actually be quite a good greeting that we could give to each other. You could say "Shake yeah, you donkey up," and the other person would say, "I don't know." They would say, "And also with you." I don't know what they would have to say in return. The loving. It's like a vigorous handshake. Shake you donkey up. <laughs> and Andy, of course, you you were actually you were actually. You potentially, we can't say for sure, but you were actually on that record. On on Seagulls, yeah, at the very beginning. The, the only way I can say that I'm, I'm in my gut, I am sure, because I didn't hear what was happening, and I might have to um, go into more detail for Belinda, but I didn't know what was what I was doing on that record when I was recording with him, so I couldn't hear it. And I didn't hear any playback, but the following week I said to Andy, what, what did that sound like, what we did together? And he said, I sounded like I was singing through a brown paper bag and when you listen to the beginning of that song when he's going na 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 it's got that crunkly paper sound to it so I do think um what I did was what was used in the, but it could have been re-recorded you know when they went to RAK studios it they could have completely changed it all um but I in my heart of hearts I think it is me you can hear twiddling the uh, wheel on a guitar synth as Andy sings into it. That's a good claim to fame, I reckon. <laughs> I can never be proved. And I think what's also interesting in the book, I've just remembered, is, is I'll we maybe come back to the sound of the album, but but uh, what's also interesting in the book, this is a book that began as a Facebook post, is that right? Yes. Um, so somebody had put, uh, as they always do on Facebook, when there must be about seven or eight different XCT pages on Facebook. Um, on one of them, I think it was the Andy Partridge page, that somebody said, oh, Big Express 35 years ago. And I just put the four photographs that I took at the time and um, left it at that. A <laughs> bomb. Well, I just mentioned <laughs> it. I didn't go into great detail, but um, Arit, who who um, is one of the pages administrators, messaged me and said, do you want to elaborate on that? Because that is um, a, a cracking story. So I just put together a thousand page, a thousand, a thousand word account full of spelling mistakes and typos and getting the getting the weeks wrong and how long I was there. It was all kind of jumbled up. And I, and I put it out there. And I've never had so many... I'm, I'm, I'm not particularly big on Facebook. I've got a few hundred friends, but so I'm not, I'm not a big Facebook user. But I became inundated by messages and shares and all these things that were going on. So to begin with, I thought, well, for my own reasons i think i'll try and remember more about it so i i used that as the catalyst to start what wasn't to begin with the book it was purely just for me to try and document as best i could what i thought were 11 weeks but the more i think about it i think it was only eight weeks that i was with them i couldn't account for 11 weeks i could have been there for a lot more than eight weeks but i just cannot account for it all and that's so that's how it started that's what drink does to you. <laughs> drink does to you, yeah. And age and living. But I didn't, I didn't begin to turn, want to... So I didn't start to think about turning it into something for other people to read until um, I was trying to recall something that happens in the studio between Dave and I. And I thought, I'll be bold and I'll ask him to see what he can remember. It was about the guitars he used and he wrote back and he was quite happy to tell me what I, what I was forgetting. I think it became at that point, I thought, I wonder if anybody else would like to know this level of detail that I'm kind of pouring out now. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, um, 
I, I began to because I, I I do write fiction, so I do write anyway. But I've never done anything which is autobiographical. Um, so I thought, yeah, let's go down this route of trying to turn it into something that other people might appreciate. I didn't know how, how that would end up, whether it would be like a blog or a, I don't know what. But it ended up being big enough, to, I thought, to be able to let other people read as a, you know, a, a, a paperback or whatever, an ebook. Andy, can you tell us a bit more about just going through the self-publishing process? Uh, I, I, I take it it is, it is self-published, is that correct? Yeah, this is the first time I've ever had proper interest from um, an agent, though, and I decided not to bother with it because um, I've always self-published. I've always spent such a long time writing the letter to a, an agent, which needs to be better than your entire book to get the slightest of interest, and I just thought oh. I cannot be bothered anymore. I do very well at self-publishing. I probably make more from self-publishing than I did if I was published as a a proper author, if you want to refer to it as that. But um, a friend of mine who um, is published, he said, oh, I've got a few um, agents who have been looking at your Facebook page and they're, they're going to contact you. And I thought, no, I can't wait for this. I, couldn't, I, I didn't know who they were, but these guys still might come up the woodwork. You know what? These agents take a long time to do things. So I thought, no, I'm not going to chase this. I should just carry on doing this on my own. And I'm pleased, I'm pleased that I've done that. And it, it means it won't probably be on in Waterstones on the shelf, but I think more and more people aren't, especially now, aren't going out to shops anymore. They're, they're buying things online. It didn't really bother me. I, I think it echoes what has uh, happened in art and music over the last few years through social media, that, you, that the urgency somebody feels to get the, their message out, the thing that they want to talk about at the time, that they don't want to be waiting 12 months for the book to go through the regular publishing process. Exactly. Um, it, it's a bit like um, you're, you're getting your holiday photos back four weeks later, you know, by which time it's a distant memory sort of thing from Boots or whatever. Yeah. Um, and in in music these days, you can put stuff on SoundCloud quite immediately um, and move on to your next piece of work. Think you're and right. there not be a, an enormous time lag. So um, th that's why, you know, self-publishing, I assume, is, is much quicker, much more immediate. And Yes, it's, it just takes... Um, I mean, once you've, you're happy with what you've, um, what you've uh, put together, you, you would get it available within a few days of putting it on Amazon or whoever it is you're going to sell it on. Mm -hmm. And I wonder as well, do you think that you've been better able to define your market in the sense that the tone in which you write it is very much as you're talking to us now you were a fan you were 19 you were there you can remember some bits you can't remember other bits there were some bits you're not too sure of the order yeah. uh, some of it's impressionistic some of it's funny some of it's detailed uh, and so on but you're writing it very much in the in the tone of the imagined readership i suppose that it's almost as if it's a, a big facebook readership and you're, you're not trying to appeal to somebody who, who, who doesn't know anything about xdc or the big express yeah I, I think you're right i think when i was putting it together i was hopefully i'm not saying all, all of us xtc fans share the same brain but i think we all have a certain similarity and i and i wanted what the way i wrote to um appeal and I, th I think I wanted to reflect what the bands were to me and I wanted it to be, to be a book of friendliness which is how I felt at the time I wanted and I think XTC fans 
are a tight knit group. When you, I've been on other fan, fan pages on Facebook, Facebook, and it can be some nasty arguments that can come off, some really nasty things. And I've never witnessed that at all with FTC. So when I wanted to put this together, when I realised there would be an audience, I wanted to keep it that way. I wanted to keep it light. I want I want to want people to smile a lot. Um, I didn't want me to come across as look what I did that none of you ever did. I'm I'm the lucky one and I'm just gloating over it. I didn't want to make it like that. Um, and that's certainly I, I certainly hope it didn't come, come across, across that way. way. I, just I just wanted to to, to show the, the the happy side of um, how you can put something together. And I think you're right. If it went to a a publisher, they would probably want to take stuff out, change things, and make it not the book I wanted it to be. Mm. And, and take a cut. Yes, and take a big cut, you're right. Take a big cut, yeah, yeah exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, Mark, fr- from a fan's point of view, and, and, and you're somebody who, who likes their music and has lots of experience of going to, to things, do you, do, do you that point Andy just made about XDC fans being of a different order to other fans. They, we do seem to be quite a polite bunch and uh, yeah. there's the occasional thing that, that, that erupts, but on the whole, uh, there isn't the aggression that you, that you uh, and, there, and there's certainly a welcomingness that I don't think you see elsewhere all the time. Do you have any experience of that, Mark? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing I like the book as you, about the book, as you mentioned just then, is the fact that it doesn't try to bring in everybody. It doesn't spend the first three chapters trying to explain, trying to justify itself. It just says, this is a book about the XTC recording, the Big Express. If you're interested, come on in. If you're not, you know, there's a, another book next door that, that will probably do you quite nicely as well. And so because of that, it means that, you know, it's easier to read because we don't have to have several chapters of the background to it all. We just get into the nitty gritty, you know, the meaty stuff of it all. And, you know, it's, as you say, it's... Um, I mean, it's, it's a fascinating book. It's one of these books um, that will, you know, if, if someone's write a biography of XTC, you know, that they would normally go back to the album reviews, they would go back to the, the fanzines, whatever, and they miss out on the detail that books like this come bring out, you know, all in favour of them. It's kind of like um, 100 years ago when history changed. Up to that point, it had all been written about kings and queens. Then E.P. Thompson wrote The History of the English Working Class based on scraps of uh, journals that no one else had looked at before. And it's that kind of uh, interesting stuff that doesn't make the big books that is actually more, more fascinating because it's more detailed and there's more, you get more out of it, you get a better feeling of what actually happened of what the people were like than you would if it was just a case of, here's the review from the NME, here's the review from Melody Maker. You know, definitely there's a much greater sense of what they were like as people. And what I also liked was the fact that you referred to it, but obviously hanging over them at the time was all the legal issues, the tax issues. And, you know, that obviously had a big bearing on what was happening when you were there. You weren't particularly aware of it. And so you didn't try to force it into the book either. And then, as you mentioned at the end of the book, they came out of that three-month period and then recorded the Dukes of Stratosphere stuff, which was chalk and cheese. You know, it was completely light. It was, as you say, two weeks of um, fun as opposed to three months of grind. I, I didn't pick up any of the... When I was there, I, I had no feeling that they were under any great pressure. Um, I mean, they, they certainly wouldn't have it. They weren't laughing and joking as they were recording. There was a sense of seriousness about what they were doing, but I didn't feel that they were sweating to get an album out which had to sell. I didn't sense that at all. I didn't sense any... It wasn't until a long time afterwards I understood that they were, um, you know, had, were in a bad way financially. Um, and I think probably I was a little bit wrong in the book because I think more of their issues were to do with um, the fact that they just didn't get paid 
um, because allegedly the manager um, tied up to a bad contract. And, and I do remember Dave saying that he had a, he had another job at the same time as being an XTC. And I think he said he was a delivery driver. If I, I that's what I put in the book. I think that's what he said he did. He dropped off parcels and things. Which to me, I thought, how how can that be? You you you're on top of the pops. You know you you've been on tour and why do you need to deliver parcels or whatever it was he said he did? But I didn't get a feeling that they were under any pressure to get anything out which was going to do any better than anything they did before. It's an interesting record because, to slightly contradict what my colleague David was saying, for me, obviously I played it again this afternoon before coming on to here, I played it a few times reading your book, and for me it's an album that's great as an album, you know, but it's it's a whole, it, it doesn't to me have any particularly standout tracks, you know, there's a couple of tracks that are slightly better, but I don't mean that as a as a, as a criticism, what I mean is all the songs are equally good. You know, it's an album that just exists along there. And perhaps that's part of the frustration because there's no, and again, if you may just disagree, no snappy Radio 1 inclined singles on it, you know, that's going to really jump out. But I think it's all the better for that, you know, but that possibly wasn't what they were being looked to produce at the time. And yet, it's quite funny, I was just looking back at Limelight, and this was, I think, before, the, I must have been writing this before the Big Express came out, but after the, the uh, I suppose, it, the, the interview would have been done when, when when I was there at the same time as Andy was, and they were talking about Shake You Donkey Up as, as being a possible single, which um, it just seems quite, I mean, I, I like Shake You Donkey Up, but it doesn't sound to me like a single, and yet, apparently, Virgin would take it quite seriously, and I think, and actually, even if you think about the ones that were singles, Am I going to get this right? Was it was this world over and wake up singles night? Neither wake, wake up was a B side. Was it a B side? Um, yeah, that was a B side of um, all you pretty girls. Oh, all you pretty girls! So all you pretty girls is more obviously obviously a single, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Wasn't it outsold by um, the the Juice the Stratosphere album? It was outsold by that. Yeah, yeah. Even when people didn't know who that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were, and I think, and actually, again, in the limelight interviews I was just reading over, they were, they were sort of saying that they were sort of out of, out of the loop with Mama, and then even more out of the loop with this one, and it just felt that they were just going off, off in a, in their own plowing their own furrow, which which. But it's that very point that attracted us all to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's the point. That's why we're here. They weren't, they weren't obeying. They weren't doing the game. That's why we are we are all here because that's that's uh, exactly what appealed to us. You're dead right, and I and I've put that right at the end of the book because I've asked myself why do I like them so much, and I think it's because they've uh, and I say apart from the first couple of albums which were jagged and angular and new wavy and fast, but kind of from drums and wires onwards there was a change, and I think now especially from perhaps English stuff from onwards. You cannot say in which decade those songs were recorded. They follow no trend or fad. And I, and I think I referred to Dear God when I said, if, it, if someone said that had been recorded in the 70s or now, I would leave you because it doesn't have um, any sense of era to it at all. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think, yeah. And I think that's one of, coming back to that question about production, which we were talking about earlier. I, I think it's true of all of their albums. Plus, I think you're right. Possibly, with the exception of the first two, that that they that they're, they're gaining in popularity in a way because they're timeless, and you can't just say, 
oh, that's a Duran Duran album at, at the time of the excessive uh, the sound, the new romantic sounds of, of, of that particular era. I don't, they don't comfortably fit in with that, and, and therefore there's an odd timelessness to it. But there's also a bit of, um, I'm not sure what the word is, um, you mentioned in there that Andy particularly was obsessed with the Lindrum. You mentioned that they borrowed the emulator, I think, from Tears for Fears. And the problem with that is, at the time they got them, there would have been new and exciting cutting-edge instruments, whereas yeah. two years later, they won every single record you heard. You know, So whereas when they used it, it was innovative, it was new, it was exciting, no one had heard it before. By the time the records came out, it was just part of the standard vocabulary of music. Mm. And... You know, that's that's not their fault. It's um, similar. Th I mean, I love Kate Bush, but if you listen to Running Up That Hill, you say, I wish they hadn't used the Lindrum on the drums because, you know, it just so obviously dates it. Um, but at the time, it, it was the future. They weren't to know that every record was going to have it on there. So. Yeah. But I don't, th I find it difficult to know the difference between some songs which Pete Phipps played and some songs which were maybe a mixture of him and the drum machine and ones which were just the drum machine. So I think they did utilise that machine very well. The, the precedent had been kind of set 20 years before with the Beatles, um, having toured right up until 1966 um, and peddled these pop tunes around the world, wonderful that they were. Uh, within six months, they were recording among the most artful um, uh, departures um, the, the world music world has ever seen. It wasn't a precedent. I mean, 10 CC, Godley and Crane were friends of mine, and they, they, I mean, consequences. Just, yeah, yeah. Both the mold. Um, XTC developed art, really, in, in, the, in the studio, uh, uh, in, in much the same way as, yes, uh, 10 CC and, um, and definitely the Beatles. Uh, I, th I think in, in, in the studio. Which comes back again to that thing I was saying about their list of the sounds they were trying to go for. It's that that's not what a, a working band does. Yeah. You know, if they if they're mm -hmm. gonna go on the road, they want to make it sound like the drum sound and like the guitar sound. You can't you haven't got time to make each song well, sound differently. The thing you're kind of referring to, David, is things basically using the studio as an instrument. You know, it's mm -hmm. another instrument in the thing. And as you say, the Beatles, the Beach Boys, they all started doing that. And it's interesting that even now, uh, when Andy, on the occasions, just tweets or does anything, he talks about the shed as though it's an instrument itself, you know, because it's the recording space. It's, it's not... Recording shoes have changed. It's now not normally something you go where you've got someone like David Lord who holds your hand and does all the stuff for you. It's You sit in a chair surrounded by a couple of laptops and it does it all for you. So it very much becomes another tool, another instrument in the, in the thing. So the nature of that has all changed, which mm. isn't necessarily a good thing because, you know, producers played a key role, you know, and sometimes the last thing you want to do is let a, a musician produce their own album. You know, but um, not particularly yeah. in this case, obviously. Yeah. And Andy, you talk about being a musician in, in, in the book. Did, did did the experience of being in a real professional studio with a real professional band did it did it intimidate you? Did it inspire you? Did you um did you end up on top of the pot? I do think it, it did inspire me. I had been in studios before. My, my band were a, a tin pot band, which kind of just did the, the gigs around Bristol and a few Battle of the Bands competitions. So we had been in the studio, but yeah, definitely stepping up to a, a twenty-four track studio with a desk that was so big that I'd never seen before. It, it was good, and I, I did eventually began a, a, a career as a recording engineer. Um, so I think being with 
XTC definitely pushed me in that direction. Um, so although I didn't see very much being recorded, and I did put that in the book, because um, I didn't see Dave play a single note. He didn't record a thing. He was just there drinking coffee most of the time. Um, but but seeing the process as I saw it, which so it wasn't very much being recorded when I was over there, did inspire me to want to do more. Um, so I eventually I did have my own little mobile eight-track studio, and I progressed up to working for a studio in Bristol um, in the mid '80s. So I think it did inspire me. Yeah. yeah. Are you still in touch with your lady friend at the time? Was she seen the book? We don't. Um, we don't know each other anymore. Oh, she, she may know that I've done the book, but we're we're not in contact anymore. So um, uh, I'm sure someone's probably told her about it. Um, but um, yeah, she, she enjoyed it though for the first few weeks. I think she got a bit bored after a while um, because I think she was so fed up with me just staring at you know my, my heroes and asking them stupid questions. I think she probably became a bit embarrassing for her. So um, when she stopped coming along after that third week, I think. So after that, I was there on my own. But she certainly was impressed by how lovely they were because um, although she did like XTC, she, I think she just bought my records. I don't think she bought her own. So she would have the more normal conversations. Um, and I, I do put a, a paragraph or two of when Andy turned up in a posh suit. It's the one in the photograph. And she said, oh, you got a lovely suit. Where did you buy that from? And they were talking about clothes and... Malik CNA or wherever he bought it from and I think she was more down to earth than Crapton I was Man at CNA oh my god <laughs> Top shot probably I can't think of it. <laughs> 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 his wife made him buy it because she was fed up with him wearing jeans and a jumper or something CNA shirts by the way you can still get the CNA in, um, there's a CNA in Germany yeah uh, in in, uh, in in Freiburg, where my my daughter's studying, and I thought CNA, wonderful, and I went in and bought a pile of shirts. I miss Woolworths. What do you call that noise? Um, Dave, or David, or Mark, or, or in fact, any of you, have you ever have, have any of you had that experience that that there's the sort of cliche that people say you should never meet your your idols because they'll you'll always be let down by the reality of them. I've yet I, to meet my idols. Oh, no, I did meet Tony Curtis. I tell a lie. And did he let you down? <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely adored Tony Curtis. And I did meet him. And I thought how charming he was. And then I read a whole load of stuff about what a piece of nasty work he was, especially during the filming of The Persuaders, which broke my heart. I'm still having therapy. Apparently, he wasn't very nice. He didn't leave any money to any of his children. And um, at the end of the filming of The Persuaders, listen, this is interesting. I know it's not about XTC, but you started it. He was, <laughs> he was really mean to the crew, but they all, uh, um, they all said how he was able to be on camera. He really worked well on camera and as soon as they said cut he was back to being a miserable son of a bitch again um that's all i have to say i'm just going to fill up i went to um school in st andrews and just along the road from us from the school was the um tourist information office and in the window of there every day they would post the tea off times with the old course 
and it was part of the um, thing that to get on the old course, you couldn't give a false name, you couldn't um, put someone else's name and then turn up. You had to, if, you, if your name wasn't on the list, you weren't getting in effectively. And so we'd wander along, we'd see things like C. Eastwood and things like that, and we'd just go, oh yeah, whatever. And just, but you do kind of get blase because St Andrews is a very small town, and you do get a higher ratio than usual of celebrities coming to play the golf there. And so it's kind of like, oh yeah, there's so and so, and you know, you know, so not so much. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think. Eat, Terry eat, Wogan. Or I'd, I'd be awed by Terry Wogan. And um, there's just one thing I forgot to say. Um, as someone who writes a diary every day. I, it suddenly occurred to me, and it's only just this second occurred to me, that um, I will have written, I would have written about that day that I recorded the Dear God video. And it's never occurred to me to look at that day, but I don't know what day it was. But didn't you, didn't um, you tell me that you don't look back at your diaries? Oh, well, uh, I don't. But the last week, I was... Um, uh, tight because you know I'm high risk no I'm at very high risk so I've got to stay in so of course the flat's never been tidier it's all clean everything's put away so I was cleaning out the cupboard where all my diaries were and about three hours later I emerged tear-stained having read my devastatingly sad um teenage years and um that's when it occurred uh, um that's when it occurred to me that um, you know, um, you don't look back because it's so desperately sad. So, um, yes, it would be good to know exactly what date it was and see what I said about it, because um, I tend to write very factual stuff. You know, we did this, we did that. And on days like this where very little happens, I'm writing down my thoughts, my feelings, yada, yada. Um, so the more I do, the less I write. And the less I do, the more I write, because then I can start writing about feelings and thoughts. Um, but that's neither here on it. It would be really good if anyone knows the exact day that that video was filmed. Um, I might have to go back. Oh, God. Well, if you, you do, if you do find back. it, we'll, no, you'll you have to, we'll have to come back, back and we'll have to have another podcast, a podcast <laughs> just on your diary from day, Dear God, because that would be fascinating. Uh, to see. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the... Um, I'll put it in on, on the Facebook page. Um, so I've been intrigued yes. for an hour now, so you need to tell me, what's XT, she, XT, she and me? Is oh, it? yes, I haven't asked that question. What, XT, she and he? He, sorry. Oh, XT, she and he. Um, somebody a while ago asked about, um, in America, They were uh, it was a group of women who were an XTC tribute band. So I said, XT, she. And they all went, yay, that's brilliant. Um, and the reason I said that is because the tribute band for ACDC, ACDC is A, C, D, C, which is brilliant. <laughs> so um, when when uh, the um, convention started, the idea of the convention started, um, I said, right, that's it. I I want to um, I want to sing a few songs because um, Ed Percival had basically, sorry Ed, but it's true, had said that I couldn't sing with them because um, the man who sailed around his soul was um, not the sort of stuff that they do, and I knew I could sing it. So having seen Jake, Jake you are fucking amazing, Crawford, um, I asked him if he could do it, and then I said to Imogen Bebb, do you want to do this with me? And she said yes, so now it's XT, she and he, she being Imogen Bebb and he being Jake Crawford. So we're doing three songs, including um, 
my take of Dear God, which is actually really, really angry. And the reason I want to do it angry is because I saw Shane Horrocks doing cabaret, or at least I saw some of her doing cabaret. And unlike Lisa Minnelli's take, she, she was really, really angry about her life and everything she did. I don't know if you saw this, Mark um, Fisher. Everything about that song was, was her frustration and anger um, what good is living um, alone in your room? She, it was so frustrating. And so when I thought, well, I'll just do this from, from my heart. And I started singing Dear God to myself. And by the end of my, the, the last bit, I was in tears. I was absolutely in tears. And I thought, that's it. That's how I'm going to sing it. So that's why I'm going to sing Dear God. I'm also going to do um, Man Who Sailed. Um, and Jape and Imogen have promised me that they can nail it. And then I wrote a song based on the, the, the tune of Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire. But it's a whole load of song titles of XTC and XTC related people. And it starts, Pale and Precious Crowded Room, Bike Ride to the Moon, Madden Barnum, Desert Island, Complicated Game, Do What You Do, Day In, Day Out, Dying, English Roundabout, In Loving Memory of Optimism. And then it goes on. You heard it first here. And then I've got my backing singers, and um, it goes, and it's quite funny. I've got um, I've got loads of different song titles from like Barry Andrews and um, uh, Dave Gregory's uh, Big Big Train, and so everybody that was involved. And I've got all these song titles, and I was thinking of putting in um, a test, like which one isn't a song title for one of them. Um, but anyway, so that's that's XT, she and he. Um, and um, they don't know it yet, but we're actually going on a world tour. That is to say that you know, my mate, my cousin in Barry might be able to get us a gig. Um, so... Fantastic, and that's at the XTC fan convention that's in, that's all been well. Will be in September. In September in Zoom. Very good. Um, does anybody have any, have any final questions for um, for uh, Andy in particular, having written um, such an entertaining? Book I've got to get all? that book, and I'm not You've saying that, that book, two yeah. gins and a, a glass of wine down. Then you said the bottle. Um, <laughs> you, it, it's it sounds so sweet. Thank you. It is a very sweet book. And Andy, tell us, remind us, uh, the world, how the best way to get Breathing the Same Air. Probably just go to Amazon and put Breathing the Same Air, XTC, in the search bar and it will come up. Easy as that. And it's available in, in, in real three-dimensional yeah. book or form or, or in, as an e-book, isn't it? In real book as well. As, yeah, and, and after a period of time, it will be on um, the other... Um, not on Amazon places, uh, Apple and the other places as well. What do you call that noise? We question for Andy. When uh, Big Express came out, uh, there was um, a magazine, that, uh, I think it only lasted a year or two, it was a, a musician's magazine called One Two Testing. Uh, it was the precursor to a, a free magazine that used to crop up in uh, music, music books, uh, music uh, stores. Uh, called Making Music, uh, the same people. But anyway, One Two Testing uh, had a fantastic interview. 
going track by track through a, a Big Express when it was brand new, uh, with all all three of them, um, possibly David uh, Lord as well. I'm not sure about that one, but going into some detail about with each track. Um, so it'll be presumably yeah, summer or autumn 1984. But I mean, so many details of it are um, still I can I can remember um, even now. It was <clears throat> you know, just, just just from reading an absorbing magazine article. You know, um, three or four pages, a few one or two pictures, <clears throat> just um, just talking about the experience of, uh, of recording it, um, and. It, there were one or two things like you mentioned in the in the book biscuit tins for instance yeah um you but i think that was in the context of just eating biscuits one of the techniques they <clears throat> they used to try and get a, a kind of uh, extra metallic drum sound was to uh, attach um biscuit tins to um, the drum kit did you see that happen no I, I didn't see that and i had no idea about that but the only reason why that's in the book is because i was asking a few friends at the time who knew me did they remember anything that I've forgotten? And one friend said, no, but I remember coming round your house. You had a little X-15 Porter studio and you had tins and pots and pans and we right. were banging them. That was your percussion, was it? Yeah, that was yeah. we were just messing around and then we right. got bored and ate biscuits. And yeah. um, so I hadn't seen XTC do that. Not that I remember, but maybe I did. And maybe that's why I did it at my own home. Yeah, so yeah, apparently you, you're, you're sort of peak freens biscuits. Yeah. Uh, ten, just to get an extra chink. Yeah. That's the industrial sound you're trying to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was possibly Shaky Donkey Up. I'm not sure, but uh, it might be. No, I'd have to find that. I'll have to see if I can get my hands on a copy of that. Yes, one-two one, one testing, as I say. Yeah, I'll look for that later. OK, well, thank you very much, uh, David White, Mark Reed, Belinda Blanchard, and, of course, Andrew Stafford and Breathing the Same Air, which is available on Amazon and in future elsewhere as well. Thank you very much. That's been fantastic. I'm... Still Mark Fisher, and we'll see you on another podcast. Keep safe in these strange times. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. What do you call that noise? Thanks for listening. Uh, a couple of footnotes before we go. You can find Andrew Stafford's book on Amazon by searching for Breathing the Same Air. The XTC Convention 2020 takes place in Swindon on the weekend of the 18th of September. You can find out more on Facebook by searching for XTC Convention 2020. You can buy the XTC Bumper Book of Fun and What Do You Call That Noise from my website, which is at xtclimelight.com. And you can listen to more episodes of this podcast by keying in what do you call that noise? The XDC podcast into your favourite podcast app. Uh, please do subscribe while you're at it. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting future episodes through my Patreon site, which you can find at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. That's patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. I've got loads of ideas for future episodes and I can't wait to get recording them. With your help, I will. Thanks again. See you next time. What do you call that noise? Why do you call that noise? <laughs> Have you got enough now, Mark? I think I've got quite a few. <laughs> okay.